With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. At Jared, we know devotion isn't a once a year occasion. And once the flowers have wilted and the chocolates have disappeared, you'll still want them to know how much you care. Dare to give a gift that lasts this Valentine's Day with our incredible selection of jewelry. From delicate rose gold to bold black diamonds, Jared has hundreds of pieces under $299 and exclusive collections you won't find anywhere else. Shop online or find a store near you at jared.com and dare to be devoted. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of Troy Noons is an Absolute Podcast. I'm your host, as always, John Casillo, and with me today is Dan Lyons. Hello, hello. Happy... What do you got, Dan? Um, I'm no longer standing in a hurricane in Winston-Salem Day. Yeah. Week. Happy day Hopefully after... Hopefully lifetime. <laughs> Happy day after even your bullshit is dead day. Yes. Goodbye. Less annoying version of the Cardinals. Mm, out here it's more, but I get your point. Oh. I mean, you're in the, you're in the, I mean, you're not really in the eye of the storm, but you're definitely, like, closer than I am. I, I just see it from afar. Fair. Yeah, I used to be in the eye of the storm as well, which, uh, which does not help. Yes. You, you are, you are to the San Francisco Giants annoying hurricane as I was to the Hurricane Matthew on college football Saturday in Winston-Salem. Like, I wasn't in the middle of it. I wasn't at NC State. But, uh, it was enough. I, I got enough. I got my fill. Too true. Actually, why don't you, why don't you... I mean, for those who don't remember, Dan was actually down at the game uh, this past weekend. Uh, so while we're going to talk about the game uh, and its, its mishaps and misfortunes and statistical anomalies and, and such, uh, Dan, why don't you just give a little taste of, uh, kind of what you were experiencing down there, uh, maybe some things you might have noticed um, while watching the game in person that we might not have seen um, on the broadcast... Um, and, and, and how things, how conditions kind of improved over the course of the game. Um, all right, so basically, uh, I've never had a greater appreciation for the Terrier Dome. Um, I've been to outdoor football games before. I've played in outdoor football games before um, in, like, Pittsburgh. I mean, I've played in high school, but, like, I've done games at Pitt. I've done games at Rutgers. I've done games elsewhere where it was not the best out. Um, this was just awful. And it, it, was, it was a constant... Um, just that constant spray of cold rain plus, like, 25-mile-per-hour winds so that it never quite let up, and it was never, like... It wasn't just, like, a constant, like, falling rain. It was blowing directly into you, especially uh, the direction in which Syracuse was going, I think, in the first quarter, um, towards the... Uh, I don't know which direction it was, but wherever we were heading toward... We were in, we were going into the win of the first quarter, and that clearly had an impact on um, any semblance of passing game. And it was just that very slick rain where... I can only imagine trying to hang on to the ball was a, a, a nightmare on the field. Um, and it was just miserable. It was just, The weather was so gross. Uh, it was almost impossible to, like, sit there and watch the game. Um, my family retreated to, like, under the bleachers where you could kind of see um, the, uh, the video board uh, from, like, the side of under the bleachers. So that's kind of where we were sitting anyway. I stayed out for most of it. Um, I, like, went down there for, like, bits and pieces, but, like, it was just it was it was miserable. It was just a, a not a fun game to be at, um, for like not just be a Syracuse loss, but uh, the conditions were were a like perfect for Syracuse having its worst offensive output of the year. Like everything that Syracuse does well was directly impacted by the weather, especially in the first half. Um, and while things got better in the second half, and I think it just I think the if there's if there is such a thing as momentum in sports, um, I, I think it, it had an impact well into the second half. And it just totally tossed the team from any kind of, like, just generating any kind of rhythm in the offense. Um, so, yeah, not, not the best game. Uh, hopefully not a sign of things to come, because I, I don't think Syracuse will play in that kind of weather anytime soon. Um, but really, like, there, there's, there's, like, raining games outside, and then there's, like, what, what it was on Saturday where, I mean, if you watched any of the NC State game 
against Notre Dame. Like, it wasn't like that, but it made it so uh, untenable to try to run the offense that we've been accustomed to seeing the last couple of weeks that I, I'm not totally shocked that we got the game we did. Especially because Wake was very, very happy to just pound the rock into the middle of the pile and let Kate Carney pick up three or four yards over and over and over. And that was definitely a, a more winning strategy on that Saturday. Agreed. And admittedly, you know, um, I mean, Carney wasn't even supposed to be in necessarily at first. And I know that the word got out late in the week that he would return. Um, I will say that SU did try that strategy. Um, unfortunately, when you don't have a back that's, uh, that's really bigger than me, um, for the most part, um, you're not going to do completely well. Um, I know you alluded to some of the improving conditions over the course of the game. Um, when you have a pass-first offense, uh, it is kind of hard to have a, a contingency plan for weather. Um, you know, the Carrier Dome obviously being the ideal conditions for um, what the Orange offense does under Dino Babers. That said, um, Dan, do you feel like the passing game, did it look as bad and as disjointed a, a, in person as it did, um, you know, on the broadcast? I know from my angle, it just seemed like... Um, Offensive linemen were unable to, to hold their blocks, you know, e- even more than normal. Um, it, it appeared that, you know, Dungy was just under duress the entire time, and even if guys were getting open, um, it just wasn't able to happen. I think that, that, you know, two of the best passes on the day, really, were uh, were the two to Cam McPherson, um, you know, in that second quarter drive that ended up, uh, I believe it was the one that ended up being, uh, ended up in the end zone, but... Um, was surprising that given the fact that that worked out pretty well, uh, that they wouldn't try to incorporate a little more uh, tight end or two tight end sets. Yeah, I think that that drive and like a couple of the surrounding drives actually looked like pretty decent. And I thought at that point, oh, you know, maybe we have things going. The rain is let up. Um, it seems like they're going to be able to recoup here. Uh, and and those two passes to Cam were really nice and, and really quick and in the rhythm of, of what we are come accustomed to when this offense looks good. And then there were a couple of nice places. Steve Ishmael, who had uh, one of his more impactful games, and Amba made the nice catch. Um, it just seemed like, like that was like a one, one spurt uh, of effectiveness in, you know, the first half I, I'm okay just like literally and figuratively calling it a wash. Like there was no way for a team that can't effectively run the ball um, and relies on like 70% passing uh, to move the ball in that. Like it just wasn't going to happen. Deshaun Tizer couldn't do it. Um just it, if he can't do it, I mean, I, I don't think Dungy was stood much of a shot, even in slightly better conditions than what there was at Raleigh. But um, it just like the the first half, the fact that Syracuse is in the game um, probably made it so that uh, there was a much better chance of of a win. You know, going down to the half. I mean, they they were up until what a minute left in the, in the first half uh, when Wake scored that late touchdown. Um, but that was almost encouraging, just based on how the thing, how things had transpired, because Wake didn't uh, seem to react much better until that final drive. Um, but they just totally adjusted uh, in a much better. Uh, they were just much better at adjusting to the conditions and then taking advantage once things lightened up. Um, although I think a lot of that was taking advantage of Syracuse mistakes as well. Yeah, I'd agree. I mean, as much as. You know, we, we've we've had issues with how things have turned out for SU thus far. Um, at the same time, like, the one thing SU hasn't done a ton of is create mistakes um, and, and hand the ball over to the other team. I know that it was the uh, that late pick um, that, that killed our chances to at least get three uh, before the half and maybe make it a 14-12 game. Um, there was also, uh, you know, that late fumble by Jordan Fredericks, and, 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 you know, a lot of fans are a little pissed about that. I'm willing to excuse it. Um, and, and knowing what I know about you, I would assume you are too, uh, to an extent, based on the fact that, you know, Fredericks is just not used often enough and to rely on him in, in what could have been a key moment there. I mean, only down 12. Um, you could conceivably, you know, quickly kind of run yourself into the end zone um, and then potentially go for an onside kick. Um, I, I don't think that any reasonable human being uh, should have expected Fredericks to play, you know, that big of a role that late. Um, and yet there he was being thrust into kind of the limelight. Yeah, and, like, you wouldn't think of Fredericks as a guy who's going to go out and catch passes, and yet he was he had two catches for 19 yards. He actually had a nice run for 12 years. I actually thought Fredericks, aside from the fumble, um, looked quite good, uh, and I I would like to see more of him. And and I'm actually looking at the numbers now. Like, the, the major issue for the running game was Dungy lost a lot of yards, um, and I think the most of that was late because I remember 
in, I think, like the late first quarter saying, you know, Syracuse might have to have Tunji run the ball like 20 times. That's the only thing that's working. But um, he actually, I mean, he only had 13 yards and 18 carries. But Strickland, Moniel, uh, Strickland had five, almost six yards of carry. Moniel was at 8.4. Fredericks had the one 12-yard carry. Brisley had an uh, 11-yard carry. Irv had a five-yard carry. Everyone else had, like, pretty good rushing numbers, um, which maybe is an encouraging thing for the uh, the makeshift offensive line we're dealing with, which now might be, uh, from what we've heard, might be forced into like, not being some makeshift because it, it sounds like a couple guys might be out for the year. Um, Babers hinted that. Uh, so, you know, I guess that's a, that's a positive you can um, spin if you really want to. Uh, the problem was uh, the turnovers that Syracuse did have were very costly. Um, Wake was, I mean, Walford threw a pick uh, as well, but Wake fumbled the ball four times and, and recovered, um, only lost one. So they had some really good fumble luck. Um, anyone who's watched Tennessee this year kind of knows how that goes. Uh, and Wake had the same kind of, uh, and, and fumbles are blatantly stats show that like fumble luck is you can, you can drill for fumbles and stuff, but ultimately um, one team like just generally gets luckier when there's a bunch of fumbles in a game and that can often tilt the outcome. Um, so Wake just had a lot of things go well for it. It found an effective uh, pound ball running game in the end with Carney and Walford who um, didn't pass all that well, but, but uh, running the ball, he was quite effective, like way more so than I thought. Uh, and they just uh, found the style that was better suited to win on Saturday, uh, which was basically those who picked Wake to win, uh, that's kind of what they were pointing at, was like this being a, a bad condition game with the hurricane coming and Wake just being uh, slightly better, or not slightly, I mean that they're designed better to win that kind of game, and that was true. Um, the, the cornerback issues that they have were largely inundated because we couldn't get any separation on the outside, couldn't get the ball downfield, um, and they have... You know, just a more effective power running game than Syracuse does. Yeah, I mean, that's really the key, power running game. I think that in general, um, SU, and I know we talked about this last week, SU had better skill position players, uh, I think, you know, because of injuries, that the wake offensive line was a little bit better. Um, it's unfortunate because of the weather. I know rain was supposed to let up in the initial forecast a, little, a, bit, a bit before kickoff. That obviously didn't happen. Um, I think that's really where kind of SU went off the rails is the fact that they weren't they weren't able to attack the uh, the corners for Wake as, as much as uh, they probably would have liked. I know that that was one of the weaknesses. Uh, Blogger so dear in particular, our friends over at uh, the Wake Forest site for SB Nation um, automatically pointed out um, as something that you could do a lot of. Um, you know, I think that the fact that the passing game was minimized definitely helped SU because you didn't see um, the secondary being able to be attacked the way it would normally um, by a team and will certainly be attacked by Virginia Tech this coming week. Um, I know you mentioned that you liked what the run game did. Um, overall, I I think that a lot of that was influenced by a couple big runs. You know, Fredericks had the one carry for 12. Dungey had that one carry for 27. And if you take that one out, he had minus 14 yards. Uh, yeah, I think it was more that the stats looked better yeah. than what I actually remember seeing. Um, I'm actually, like, surprised to see the numbers, at least the average numbers, which obviously they don't tell the whole story, oh, look yeah. as positive as they do. Of course. But yeah. Dungy's, I mean, Dungy's numbers kind of bring everything down. Um, they do. Which is an issue. Yeah. You look at, like, Moniel, one run for 37, then four carries for five. Dante Strickland, right. one carry for 49, then 12 carries for 25. And I guess, yeah, the, the overall numbers definitely paint a better picture than what actually happened. Um, like we've said before, Strickland's not a pure running back. He shouldn't really be expected to be one. And once again, you know, I mentioned this in the play-calling breakdown, too. Strickland, for the second straight week, uh, showed effectiveness uh, in the passing game, two receptions for 18 yards. Um, Fredericks, again, we saw this last year. He's not a receiver out of the backfield, and yet two catches for 19 yards, uh, one of which was the fumble uh, that automatically was kind of the backbreaker um, and that kind of ended the, the game effectively. But, you know, Ishmael, five for 56, could have easily been a couple more. Um, Phillips was only targeted once the entire game, and, you know, I, I know we kind of alluded to this, last week that we hoped that Phillips running the ball would be a thing. Um, once again, was a thing. And, and if not for a really heady read uh, by one of the uh, Wake Forest linebackers, um, would have had another kind of biggish gain. And last week, what was it? That carry was about 11 yards. And then this week was five, could have easily been, you know, nine to 12. Yeah, just a lot of like those small missed opportunities. And then a lot of just, as, as you alluded to, like aside from the, we had a, some nice big plays and Explosive plays are always nice, but um, a lot of wasted plays. Like when Dungey picks up, uh, you know, when he has 13 yards 
yards and, and he had 27 on one run. That's a lot of plays that just are are halting drives and, and killing momentum and just not doing anything for you. Absolutely. And yeah, like I'm trying to, I'm pulling up the play call article. I know I had the, this week I actually had the one play call article for the wake game. I also had a mid-season breakdown, uh, which kind of looked at a lot of the things that we've done all year and some maybe things that are trending in a negative direction. Um, I look at a, a rough version of explosiveness. I know explosiveness wise, we've, think we're 91st or something like that on the season which is bad um but looking at what we have uh this week uh Syracuse had four plays of 15 or more yards uh, uh all of those went for 25 or more um another nine plays gained between 10 and 14 yards so all those things sound good ish um but those for 13 plays accounted for 252 of the oranges uh, 326 yards from scrimmage that means that the other 53 plays averages 1.39 yards per drives, I mean, the fact that SU kind of hangs around uh, the opponent 40 a lot or our own 40 a lot um, and fails to really punch the ball in, uh, things like that can obviously be very frustrating and very counterproductive. Now, if those plays, and you see things like that from Baylor, from Houston, from um, North Carolina, uh, even Tulsa um, of late, um, you see those teams able to counterbalance those large plays with A, uh, you know, finish drives, scoring drives. Um, either on those plays or shortly thereafter, um, and then you know also managing to get more yardage out of those other non-big plays. Um, both of those are ways to make an offense improve and, and, and take you know yardage and turn that into points. Um, SU in the last uh, game in particular uh, took no yardage or points um, uh, for the most part. Um, but yeah, you, you're seeing a team that uh, that is not finishing drives, is not finding ways to score those points. Um, and that's how you get a team scoring less than 30 points per game, um, a team that's not really translating, you know, 500-yard efforts um, in, in, into wins or, you know, scores. I mean, these things happen. Um, but, Dan, I know you're probably in the same boat as I am. Obviously, we see the building blocks um, for something good, even if um, a game like this really didn't show us much uh, on that front. Yeah, I, I think that those are all very good points. I think... Um, you like to have this explosiveness, especially where Syracuse has, has struggled with that uh, in recent, uh, basically this whole year so far, um, because that is such an important thing. But um, I think as the run game continues to come along, it'll help uh, a lot just because teams are going to start to key in on, on the short passing game that that has worked at, at points this year, and that's going to limit that effectiveness. So uh, the run game, as we bring up like every week, is kind of like the missing piece here. Um, and uh, that was continued on uh, Saturday. Obviously, the O-line continued issue as well. Um, that's directly related to it. Uh, I think this Saturday, Saturday was a tough one also because a team like Syracuse, and we've seen it just based on the pace, um, when you have stalled drives and then you face a team that is playing uh, a very different mode of offense where they were very content to like pound the ball for three yards, three and a half yards of carry, um, and they can sustain drives a little better, and you have these conditions where uh, running the ball for any kind of uh, you know decent chunk uh, yardage is not happening, and then throwing is just out the window. Uh, you're going to have a game where Syracuse really struggles to um, score. So it wasn't even like uh, like the red zone issues. I don't think were even as pronounced just because getting there was a struggle. Um, I will say I almost take a positive out of obviously they get Syracuse with 28 points. A lot of that, some of that was on turnovers and and uh, losing the field position battle, um, especially down the stretch in the first half. 
Um, but I actually think the defense played pretty well. Obviously, Wake um, dealt with some of the, the, you know, the same weather that Syracuse did. Um, and, you know, Wake had some sustained drives, which are nice. But overall, I, I think uh, this and the UConn game were definite improvements for the defense. And even the Notre Dame game was a disaster for the most part. But we, we talked last week about how um, even in giving up all those points, all that yardage, uh, the red zone defense was something that we could take away as a positive. So maybe there are being steps taken on that side, too. Obviously, you're kind of, we're kind of reaching, I think. But um, I think there's a chance that the defense is coming along a little more than we probably realize based on how uh, the last couple of weeks have gone. Right. Yeah, and I mean, I would agree with you. I think it's, it's, it's a reach in some ways. But, um, you know, given the weather conditions, uh, the defense only allowed 21 points. Um, obviously, the, uh, the scoop and score being those, uh, those final seven uh, for Wake Forest. So, I mean, y- you can sort of start to see, I mean, at the end of the day, the, this defense is still not great, still banged up. Um, as Dino Babers said today during the uh, coaches' teleconference with ACC, um, he was talking about the fact that, you know, uh, SU just doesn't have the experience, and, and, and that can be tough. And, you know, this secondary is as banged up as, as most in the country. Um, th- there's, there's things not to like. But if, I mean, and we said last week too, um, the red zone quality um, is in part created by the fact that, you know, the, the, the secondary can't be spread as thin, the linebackers can't be spread as thin, so they are, have more of an ability to play in coverage than they do um, when, you know, there's 80 yards of field behind the line of scrimmage. Um, but at the same time, I, if I had to take, I mean, if you're going to be deplorable, um, this defense isn't that, if only because, yeah, they are able to, you know, when their weakness is taken away, play better. I mean, this is the third straight game that they've had to stop you know, inside the five. Um, that's not something you can depend on with most defenses, I think, in the country. Um, this one's been able to, to pretty much do it consistently now um, and, and because that kind of plays to their strengths and, again, it plays down their weaknesses. Um, you know, I didn't get to spend a ton of time with the defensive side of the ball um, in this game, but um, obviously did some positive things, um, in part assisted by the weather. Um, you're seeing some, uh, some positive kind of growth um, as you know, these players going to grow into grow into their roles. Excuse me. Um, the one thing I noticed when you're looking at the the season long uh, tackle numbers in particular, um, as opposed to previous years, where uh, well, not entirely opposed to previous years, but um, what would happen as opposed to previous years is you'd see more tackles um, and you know, kind of passes defended from the secondary. Um, you would see uh, much more tackles. Um, happening, you know, on the line too, and where you'd see a decrease, hopefully, it would be the linebackers in this situation, uh, what you're seeing instead, and and this is, I guess, a testament to how deep and and at least, I'd say well, not well adjusted, but but well-meaning the the linebacking group is for uh, for SU, and that you're seeing really high tackles numbers for them. I know Paris Bennett has has done a really nice job over the past few weeks. Um, Zaire Franklin has as well. you're seeing you're seeing really high numbers from them and really high numbers from uh, the secondary secondarily, which is good. Um, in the past, we've seen really high numbers from the secondary um, by themselves, um, but you're not seeing a lot of high tackle numbers from the line, and that goes to show just how few stops we're getting at the line um, in the run game. Which is about what we expected, considering yeah. uh, how awful how how awful the depth is on the line. Um, I will say, if you're building a defense around this offense, which is going to be the case, the offense is the focal point of this coaching staff, it's the focal point of this whole system, I think the things you want, um, I would say red zone, red zone stops, which is something they're getting, that, that's big. Um, forcing turnovers, and I'd say if you can add stopping the run. Obviously, turnovers haven't been like a huge part, but I think if you can do things where you are just doing things to swing the tide towards your offense, whether it's uh, making big kind of demoralizing stops against and not to not to plagiarize Takeo Spikes from what I've heard he was uh, he said the word demoralizing about 8,000 times during the broadcast um, but uh, I, I'd say just doing those things where you um, make just basically big plays like that's the easiest way to say it just making big plays even if you're going to surrender uh, 30 points and 500 yards on defense uh, I think that's what you go for rather than trying to be this do it all team that like is both the best 
uh, at shutting down uh, opposing teams and uh, running these crazy offenses. I mean, we've seen teams that have come close. I think, like, even this year, it kind of looks like Ohio State has that kind of build. But you're never going to recruit at the level they do. Or you're, you're probably not going to build a team that was like uh, 2014 TCU was, like, unbelievable on both sides of the ball. Um, those teams don't come around that often, and at Syracuse, you're at a talent disadvantage to begin with. So if you can make a defense that's specialized in holding uh, down the stretch and playing bend, don't break, and then also making the big game-changing plays with turnovers and whatnot, I think that is the direction that you'll likely see us going. Um, because then you give your offense uh, just a little more room to breathe, and you give them more opportunities with the ball in potentially good field position. Right, and yeah, if you're going to go punch for punch, I mean, this is you know, this is a basketball model. Um, is that in basketball, no defense is going to be elite and is going to be able to hold teams to 60 points. But if you're going to be able to hold a team to 97 points and your offense can score 105, like you're going to win, you know, eight out of 10 games potentially, um, or at least seven out of 10, and you know, some other things happen. But the point is, um, you know, you look at what Baylor's doing. Baylor is able to do bend not break, but the the bending is able to to create another you know another possession, um, another drive inside the twenty that that is a quick score um, for the offense. Um, that's really kind of the crux of of, of what Baber's system is, and you you see it with Tulsa as well. Tulsa this year is actually kind of, and I know um, Solid Variable mentioned this as well um, this week, um, and I think actually I think. Um, Podcasting played nobody did as well. Uh, two of the uh, podcasts on SB Nation's college football site, um, they were able to, you know, they're scoring 50, almost 50 a game, but they're allowing 40, and and that's really that differentiation is really what you know takes a team like SU that's kind of struggling right now um, from a three and nine team potentially to a six and six one is that, you know, creating those extra opportunities. The defense is starting to round into one that can do that, but unfortunately the offense isn't coming along quickly. Um, Dan, now, now that we're going to dive really deep into this, but um, what do you think is the difference between a team like Cal or a team like um, a Baylor or North Carolina or Wazoo that's able to put up the points, but they're letting up the points, and then suddenly the, the, the switch kind of flips you know, in year three or four versus a team like SU that they can't make the stops and they can't score the points right now. Uh, and that's what's leading us to uh, what's been a frustrating season for some fans that might have expected at least one side of the equation to get going right away. Um, I think time. I think just just time and giving uh, people rope, um, especially in Wazoo State. And I actually tweeted uh, during my late night staying up to watch Washington State just trample Stanford. Um, which is, you know, if you've been paying attention to college football for like six years, not something you probably expected, even if you thought Wazoo had a chance to win that game. Um, Cal's a little different. I mean, Dyke hasn't been there that long, and obviously there's always always rumors of divorce there, but uh, they seem to still let him kind of do his thing um, to middling results. Um, but Wazoo especially, like, they are in a similarly... Uh, Desolate recruiting ground, especially um, maybe given even what's more. around them. Yeah, especially because I mean they have more they have more direct competition in the area than Syracuse does. For like time. we have Penn we have Penn State. They have Washington, which is now a monster this year. After, despite all the jokes made in the offseason, they have Oregon, which still recruits well, and, and who knows what they become. But to this point, they've been good. Um, obviously, there there are the California schools that that'll go up there and. and look for stuff. I mean, Jacob Eason got pulled out of Washington last year to go to Georgia. Mm-hmm. So if there's a great, like, quarterback, people are going to go find him. Boise. Um, Boise, which just, you know, they don't recruit at a super high level, but they recruit effectively for their system, which is not totally... I mean, I'm sure a lot of those players Mike Leach would like to have. Um, so, I mean, it, they do that, and Syracuse is in, you know, I, I'd say Central New York's not any better than the Palouse in terms of recruiting, maybe a little bit because I don't know who lives out there. But, um, you know, we have New Jersey that's very local. We have Pennsylvania that's very local. Um, New, York New York State, State has for the some stuff, yeah. Yeah, New it's England in general has... Yeah, I There's some guys. We have, we have access to more talent in a smaller area than they do in the state of Washington. In eastern Washington. Yeah, the state of Washington. I mean, I'd say the whole state, really. The whole state of Washington, the whole state of Oregon. Um, Oregon, state of Oregon's getting better. Um, the state of Idaho, like... 
their surrounding areas definitely has less talent than, than I think SU's dealing with. Right, and I said this, like watching Washington State, which runs not a very not a very similar offense to what the Beavers' offense is ideally, but, you know, same idea, high-powered offense, then I give up a lot of points, et cetera. Um, I, if they can do it out there, Syracuse can do something similar. Um, and I think Leach has been there for, what, six or seven years now? And it took a while. He, it took a while. It took a couple of years. Um, and they were coming from a really, really bad place. Um, probably worse than what Schaefer left, honestly. Um, and the first, like, three or four years, I don't think they made a bowl. I, when they started to break through, it was, it was basically built on, like, sheer, we're going to pass the ball so much, and occasionally we're going to break through for, like, 60 points and throw for 600 yards. Now, this year, like, they're getting the running game a little bit involved, like, more so than Leach usually does. It's actually a factor now where they're, you know, maybe only going to run for 100 yards a game, but they're going to get some, like, big first down runs and, and, you know, just keep you off balance enough. Um, obviously, that's different than, you know, we always harp on, like, Baylor's offense is, in reality, um, kind of like 55-45 run when he has his pieces in place. Um, but it shows that Leach is adapting, and he's kind of bringing in these new wrinkles. Um, Babers is obviously in square one, hasn't even been able to put in all the, the wrinkles that are like at the basis of his offense. So he's using this like mash unit of, we can kind of throw the ball a little bit. We have this one monster receiver and another who's kind of finding his way. The running game is mostly ineffective, but we're just kind of doing what we can. Um, so it's just, I think, uh, Washington state, uh, for a lot of reasons is kind of a good example because, um, while the style isn't exactly the same, I think the general, uh, the general balance of like offense to defense and uh, fitting guys in recruiting wise, like there's a lot of similarities. Um, and like you said, you can you can go watch those games and see what happens when you have uh, that kind of team that is going to be willing to give up a lot of big plays. Washington State, um, I, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but I feel like having watched like two or three of the games, they picked up a lot of passes. Um, they they. They get the ball back to their offense pretty quickly. Leach does pretty smart things at being aggressive. Um, he could probably even stand to be a little more aggressive, honestly. And uh, occasionally you'll see it turn into a game like Stanford, where Stanford is just can't get out of its own way, and everything Washington State does just further disorients them. Um, so hopefully by like next year we'll start to see Syracuse start to do that to some teams. Uh, not that I expect them to be a Stanford-type team by 35 points, but uh, that potential is there for this program in a number of different ways. So... If you want to feel better about the Orange, like, go be a Wazoo fan this year. Um, and we didn't even lose to our FCS team, which Wazoo does now all the time and still wins nine games, yeah. uh, which is hilarious. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I watched that game, and I, I, it struck me. I'm like, honestly, if they can do this out in Pullman, like, Syracuse can do – I'm not expecting miracles or anything. And Mike Leach has, like, a, a huge track record, more track record than Babers, honestly. Um, but, like, the, the path is there. There is, like, an opening – and it can happen. Yeah, I mean, honestly, I know we kind of mentioned Pirate Leech when things weren't going right um, for Wazoo, when people were thinking, okay, like, is this not going to work out? And we were thinking, okay, is Shaver not going to work out? Maybe this is something. Um, I, I, I like where we ended up with Davis better, not because I think he's a better coach than Leech. I think Leech is an innovator and, and, and a pioneer, while, you know, Babers is kind of a, a spinoff of a tree. Um, who could turn into a pioneer? Who could turn into a pioneer down the road, or at least somebody who who managed to hopefully, with more morality, uh, do what ba- what Bryles did at Baylor. Um, two caveats I'll add to Wazoo before we get to halftime. Um, one, um, Wazoo was a missed field goal away from beating Stanford last year, um, which no, they didn't. They I think they no, they beat a. Uh... Who did they beat last year that they have now won two games from? I don't think it was... It was it Oregon? It was Oregon. They beat Oregon last they, year? They yeah. smoked Oregon last year. Right, and then they smoked them again this year. Yeah, and then they smoked even worse this year, <laughs> as, as everyone does with Oregon's Oregon. so bad. Or, I know, I know... I, I take no real, like, I don't care about Oregon at all. I know oh, you I don't do. like them. So I'm sure you uh, are taking great joy in, in all of fun. this. This is fun. Like, I, at first I thought, oh, it's just going to be another down year. They'll probably win eight games. Nope. Um, some people will get on Restless with Hellfridge, and, and they'll fall for his job, and they'll probably be unfounded. They're they're bad. They're going for like, eight. They, yeah, probably. I know we just did the CUSC, and we, we oh, uh, John jokingly messaged me <laughs> saying that we were the reason why USC turned it around. Clearly, USC listens to this podcast because they really like Syracuse on the side. Um, 
Oregon like is in dire straits. Like Oregon looks horrible. And they don't have the USC talent just looks like kind of a mess. Yeah, that's right. Like, that's USC was a coaching issue that got right sided. Like for now, I, I mean, and that could still derail, yeah. but it looks like they figured some things out and they're gonna at least be competitive. I don't know if they're gonna win more than like seven games now, but they're gonna be like okay, they're gonna look okay. Yeah, Oregon looks bad. <laughs> right, like USC was a very talented team that wasn't being coached well. Oregon is a team with questionable coaching credentials, um, without last year's offensive coordinator. Um, that with Brady Hoku. Yeah, with, with, which has top thirty-five-ish talent. And like I thought, like honestly, on paper, I was like, oh, Brady Hoku, you know, he he, you know, was a terrible coach at Michigan, but he was really good at San Diego State and Ball State. And then I like. Somewhat, I, I I knew this, but like I wasn't reminded of this until this week. Brady Hook was never a defensive coordinator, so like maybe he had the managerial skills to be a, a G five head coach and do well there. But I don't think he ever proved he could like run his own defense. No. Like you can be one, not the other. Like we've seen that a couple different times. And they kept um, all the other where you make. See, didn't they keep all the other defensive coaches? I think so. Yeah, but like Dabo Swinney got promoted from wide receiver coach to head coach, and. Lord knows if Dabo, like, could call his own offense and be okay, but clearly he does a lot of other things, like, super, super well, and he's probably a top five, top ten college football coach now. Like hiring That's, offensive coordinators that can run his Right. Team. He hired, he hired a really good offensive coordinator uh, in uh, dude who's at SMU now, whose name is saving me, Chad. Uh, oh, Chad Morris. Chad Morris. Hired Chad Morris, got him paid like a head coach. He stayed there probably two years after he could have left. Um but built that offense, and then he hired his assistants. He promoted them, I believe, yeah. uh, to run the offense Go afterwards. The offense. Totally and now it's it's a well well machine. Debo, I don't think he ever ran that offense. He was wide receivers coach, and then became head coach. He, I'm sure he had input. I'm sure he knows what's going on. He probably could call plays in a pinch if he needed to. Yeah, but he's but definitely like, somebody who runs the program. And that's why they someone saw that, um, and that's why he was the one that was promoted, not one of the coordinators. After they fired, uh, was it Bowden? Yeah, um, and. And it worked out great. Like, I remember when that happened, everyone's like, is, really, is that what we're doing? The wide receiver's coach? But and, it didn't like, work out really well young. until he made a smart decision on the defensive side. Correct. When Venable um, came in, Venable, people were doubtful because they saw Oklahoma kind of trending downward on the defensive side of the ball. Um, and after the Orange Bowl massacre uh, to West Virginia, then suddenly, once Venables came in, you saw some returns in year one. Then by year three, they were, they were a death machine. Um, and now, I think... I would say in two years you're going to see the calling card for Clemson be more defense than offense. I mean, not like they can't score, but uh, and obviously having someone like Deshaun Watson is a great beacon to teams, but you're already seeing a team that, you know, Watson is not running as much, he's not taking the same hits, he's not taking the same risks, because he knows that he's a top-five pick in the NFL draft. You know, I, I think that, and I know that this diatribe is now veering in all different directions, but uh, at, at the same time, you know, Clemson's a case of, of this is a program that has definitely evolved, and I'd say is now defense first for as long as Venables is there. Right. And so I'm basically the point we're making is that you can be, and we're going like into, a, a, we just jumped like three different stories past oh, yeah. where we were trying to be. But that happens. If you listen to this podcast, you know, you know the deal. <laughs> um, Dabo proves you can be promoted from position coach to head coach if you have the right makeup to be. Uh, the quote-unquote GM of the coaching staff and kind of oversee the brand thing. We've seen that before. Uh, Brady Hoke might have had the same skill at the G5 level. It didn't work out at the Tower 5 level, although he recruited well at Michigan. He did some other things well. Clearly, defensive coordinator doesn't seem to be his thing. And I know he's has a shift to the 4-3 from, uh, what were they, were they running three, a 3-4 four, yeah. last year? Yeah. Terrible so idea. The, kind, of, kind of similar to what Syracuse is doing now. Like, the um, whole alignment of the defense is out of whack. But Much Oregon expected to contend this year, and Syracuse didn't. Like, right. Syracuse was like, we're going to install our defense, and we'll eventually catch it up. Like, they hired Brady Hope to, like, salvage the defense. Right. And well, I, th- I think make they the saw, team competitive. I think they saw the, like, you know, repo jobs from, like, Gene Chizik and, and some others. And, no, and, and Muschamp, to a point. Like, you know, Chizik in North Carolina, Will Muschamp down in Auburn. Like, guys who came in and fixed it in year one... Like, these were just, like, you know, kind of guys who needed to, to rehab um, before they moved on somewhere else, and, and it worked, and they're like, oh, well, Brady Hogue, you were obviously good at some point. You <laughs> you, you want to do the Sugar Bowl against Virginia Tech. 
Like, Except Will Muschamp had won a had a title as defensive coordinator, I believe, right at yeah. Texas. No, yeah, and Gene Chizik had won had gone undefeated as defensive coordinator at Auburn and won an national um, championship. Yeah, won an national championship. And then won the national championship. Which basically, like Auburn's Auburn's coaching lineage is so funny Hilarious. because it's hey, Gene Chizik was DC when we were undefeated. Go hire Gene Chizik. And then Gene Chizik wins a national championship, but it's totally not like the reason they did that. And Dustin Alzan's the OC. So they say, oh, hey, Dustin Alzan was the offensive coordinator when the national championship. Go hire Dustin Alzan. And then they do that. And uh, if Malzahn gets fired, who knows where they go next? I mean, yeah, that, I mean, you can go back further. Like, between the Tuberville years and everything else, like, Auburn's coaching lineage, lineage is dumb. Like, hilariously dumb in the last 10 to 15 years. Um, and, and, I mean, I'm not surprised that this podcast ended up talking about not Syracuse for 10 to 15 minutes, but... That's kind of how we do things around here. Uh, one last thing I'll say is, you know, it's something I was kind of trying to get in a little bit. Um, Brady Hoke came in, changed a 3-4 at Oregon to a 4-3, losing uh, Buckner, who was their best defender, um, and a couple other of their better defenders. Um, he kept all of the previous DC's um, assistants, however. So now you have... Maybe those guys weren't great, and they were also <laughs> coaching a different system. Right, now you have three, hey. you have bad, you have moderately okay 3-4 coaches who were all part of the debacle against TCU, where they lost a 31-point lead. Um, that, that was such a fun game to watch. Oh, that was hilarious. That Oregon hate train was running strong that night. Um, but you had 3-4 coaches who weren't that great, um, some, then suddenly get converted to a 4-3 without changing much of the personnel, Again, or any of the coaches, except for the, the main one. Uh, so, yeah, you, uh, that's kind of how you do this to a program that played in the national championship two years ago. Oregon is the West Coast Auburn. And it's very, it's very appropriate since uh, those two faced for a title once. Yeah, we, uh, we come full circle. Um, on that note, halftime. Dan, what have you been drinking? I know you had some drink stuff some, because you were Dan. I drank some stuff. Yeah, go yeah. Uh, not a ton of new stuff, but I drink some stuff. Um, I had uh, Duck Rabbit Craft Brewing, uh, which I think is North Carolina, but I'm yes. not 100 percent sure. Yeah. It is, right? Yep. Um, yeah, I had there. I'm not a huge stout fan, uh, but milk I had their milk stout, so good. which is quite good. Um, like again, that's like totally not my preferred style of beer, but thoroughly enjoyed it. Um, very nice, like easy finish. Nothing too crazy in terms of like being overly stouty. Um, I had my first pumpkin of beer of the year, which was from Foothills, appropriately, being in Winston-Salem. Yeah. Their cottonwood pumpkin, uh, really, really good. Um, had that really nice, almost like, I like a pumpkin that almost has like a nice, not not quite like a full sour bite, but like has that kind of refreshing, almost like a sour finish, and this one does, and also has a really nice pumpkin flavor without being like stupid. Um, so I really enjoyed that. Uh, and nice way to ring in the fall after sitting outside. Actually, no, it was the night before. The night before sitting outside in a rainstorm to watch a bad football game. Um, and then this week, uh, after coming back to New York, um, I had Grimm uh, Artisanal Ales in Brooklyn, their Apricot Rebus, uh, which is, I think, a fairly new. I think they put it out in September. Um, really delicious apricot sour, uh, super refreshing. Um, just like a, they, they just do really good work. Um, so we find that anywhere. It's super hazy. Uh, and the apricot is used to really good effect. So, I, I mean, I, I really enjoy a really good sour now. Uh, that's definitely one of my favorite styles, and people are making a lot of them now, which is nice. Uh, and Grimm, I don't think I've had, like, a bad beer by Grimm. Those guys do really awesome, interesting work. I would agree. I do enjoy some Grimm. They do get out here quite a bit. Uh, not all of their selections, but a lot of the basics. Um, don't really go to them a ton just because I can always find it. Um, and on top of that, uh, I like to drink local as much as possible. But still, drink rim for those, most of whom are, people are listening in the general Northeast area. You can find their stuff. Um, some things I enjoyed. Um, I was actually down in South Orange County all weekend uh, because I was at a wedding. Uh, so that's how I missed the SU game on the first go-around because it was... Oddly, in prime time, especially, which might have actually, I mean, should have really helped them, but did, excuse me, but didn't. Um, so some things I had uh, down in South OC, there's a Cis Montaigne Brewing. Uh, they're okay. They have some okay offerings, some not so good ones. 
I had their Coulter IPA that was uh, pretty decent. Uh, I was also down, uh, my wife's from uh, the Tustin area, so I had uh, Tustin Brewing Company's uh, American Pale Ale uh, that was pretty excellent. Uh, TBC is actually one of the, uh, the better kind of brewing options down in Orange County. They produced uh, some very talented brewers, including the folks that now run Smog City um, up in my neck of the woods. Um, they're also one of the only a handful of uh, breweries that get uh, Pliny the Younger for that annual release in February. Um, some other things I had over there, I had a Kern Rivers Dirty Hippie, uh, it's a Imperial Red, uh, pretty dank uh, as it would be expected from Kern River. Had uh, the uh, Old Town IPA from Tustin Brewing, and also just uh, ended up grabbing a Graveyard's Pale Ale um, from Pizzaport, which I just have a six pack of here. Um, I stopped over at the brewery uh, to pick up some beers, but unfortunately, uh, since my dog was with me, couldn't go in. Quite the bummer um, on my end, uh, but maybe next time I'm down there, he won't be with me, and I'll be able to jump in and uh, and grab some beers. And that was it for us on the beer front. Um, one more thing on the Wake Forest game before we jump into Virginia Tech a little bit. Um, Dan, that fourth quarter... Um, I was kind of pissed off uh, watching it on the replay. I'm sure you were a little pissed off seeing it live. Um, I felt like, and we've seen this a lot, I feel like, in wins and losses for SU, is that there's kind of a a bit of a, there's some quit in them. I don't know if it's on the players being tired or Babers not wanting to push the envelope too much or whatever it is. Um, But it really ticked me off on drive 12 that we just kind of took our foot off the gas, and that's really where things changed from a 14-9 game um, to a 21-9 game. Um, and then on drive 13, you know, obviously that fumble happened, but the team really wasn't in much of a rush. Um, from the Syracuse 30 to the Wake Forest 28, um, took two full minutes off the clock. Um, but again, like, what did, did you see something similar in person? Did you see a team that just didn't really have the urgency needed um, to, to win that game? Yeah, it just seemed like, I, I think they were honestly just kind of out of sorts based on how the beginning of the game went. Drive 11, I'm um, looking at your, your post now, like, had the makings of being, like, one of the better drives of the game. Started at the, the Syracuse 9, got all the way down to Wake Territory, had the one big play to Ishmael, which was nice. And then, um, just, I don't know, I think Dungy really needs to, like, get the, I, I know you don't want to force the ball away. I know, Tate, I mean, I'm a, a Packers fan. Aaron Rodgers is probably better at, like, appropriately taking sacks than anyone. Like, when he takes one, it's generally because there was, like, nothing else for him to do. Right. Um, Dungey kind of does that thing, like, if you're, if you're like, a new Madden player where you end up dropping back, like, twice as far as you should be. And, and then, then you run around. Giant lo- <laughs> yeah, you run around. And then, then except for giant losses. Directions and... Right. Uh, if he's going to do that, like, I just wish he would just get the ball away a little bit more. Because he gets out of the pocket. Just throw the ball away. He does. Aaron, I thought he was doing a better job of it at the Dome. But since we've gone on like this quote-unquote road trip for the last three games, I feel like he's reverted back to some of the stupid old habits. Maybe he's just less comfortable out in the elements. <laughs> the daylight. Um, the day, yeah. He's, he's a vampiric quarterback. <laughs> um, no, I just... I mean, there, there's such, there's such an easy... I mean, it's so easy to derail a drive like that when you're putting yourself in second and 17s like he did on this drive. Uh, even after going to, all the way down the field going, you know, what, 60 yards. Um, and that happened a couple times on Saturday. So, I mean, that, that like, I, it's not like we've been, like, super critical of Dungeon. He didn't have a great game. He still does a lot of things really well. It's just, like, there's these individual things where it's very clear he needs to improve here, but they're also, like, obvious. So, hopefully, I mean, I'm sure the coaching staff sees the same things. I don't think we are uh, better at coaching quarterbacks than Babers and company. But hopefully that's a thing he's working on. And maybe... You know, we get back to the dome finally, and uh, that will be a thing that he gets better at, and he's just more comfortable in that environment. Um, but then, like the second and third, the third drives of the quarter, just like the second drive was was short. Um, there was just like the one nice play, and everything else was a loss. And then the incomplete pass to Phillips at the end, um, and then the fumble obviously was just a total, you know, derailer. Similar, kind of similar to the drive eleven. Like they started at the thirty, get deep into Wake Forest territory, and then kind of falls apart after having a really nice drive with, you know, I'd say four pretty nice, actually five with the play that fumbles on with an eight-yard uh, catch. Five really nice plays, one incomplete pass, 
one loss yards, one two yard gain, and you know it, it is really tough uh, just mentally um, when you have a sustained drive, especially in a game that you've struggled to have sustained drives the whole time, and it gets derailed. Like it's impossible to totally block that out and not like have that weigh on you, especially in a game where you're getting poured on the whole time and you're on the road and there's like. Having me in a tough road environment is tough, but also just playing in like an empty stadium is not that easy for its own reasons. So it's just I, I get it, um, and hopefully getting back home, even if it's you know thirty five thousand people in the dome, um, will help like get this team back mentally motivated to play the play you know good football again. Yeah, and you know what? It's a little bit colder in Syracuse. I uh, I have Syracuse on my phone to check in on the weather just so I know what excuses you guys are going to be trotting out for not going to the games. And, uh, yeah, it's looking like it's in the 40s. I feel like that means you're not going to be outside a ton necessarily. So, yeah, why not go to the Dome for a, for a 345 local kickoff? What else are you doing? It's the best possible. Tip. I mean, 330, if, you're, if you like to tailgate and you also like to have your Saturday night, like especially if you're a student, 330 times are by far the best. You don't have to wake up early. You can still you can get to, to SU by noon. You're going to have a full tailgate. Game will be over by 7.45, 8 o'clock. Go grab dinner downtown. You have a full night ahead of you. It's by far the best time for games for Syracuse fans and for, for probably everyone. Like, I guess if you're like an LSU fan, you have like the mystique of the night game, and that's cool. But Syracuse fans aren't LSU fans, where the football game clearly isn't the uh, centerpiece of the weekend for most SU fans, as has been made abundantly clear for 10 years now. And that's fine. Um, and if that's not the case... 345 is like the optimal game time. You don't like it's everything lines up really well. You still have your rest of your Saturday night. You can make plans, um, and SU. Uh, it just it should be. Uh, there's no real great excuse. You're not going to go after pitching. It's going to be cold. You're not going to rake your leaves because Lord knows. I mean, the leaves are probably gone by now up in Syracuse. They're probably already been raked. How many times can you rake leaves? We've had three road games. So, um, yeah. Hopefully there's like maybe high 30s. I'll be happy with that. Just. Someone go watch these tits play, please. Yeah. Because Lord knows UConn fans didn't, and I can tell you Wake Forest fans did not, and justifiably so. There was no reason to be sitting at that game, and yet there I was. <laughs> well, I mean, admittedly, you did fly to it. I wouldn't... Uh, I did fly to it. I, I wouldn't expect I, you to not go to the game after doing so. I should have taken, like, a selfie from the game and then done that, like, meme that's been going around lots of days, like, so there I was. You might ask yourself how I got here <laughs> at <laughs> 45 degree... 25 mile per hour wind blowing rain in my face, um, BB and T field. See, I would I would have posted something. The hater I am being <laughs> saying, and the Warriors did not need these conditions to, dri- to blow a three run lead. There were perfect conditions when the Warriors blew that <laughs> as they will be in the Terrier Dome when Syracuse uh, inevitably blows a 14 nothing first quarter lead to Virginia Tech. Too true. Um, speaking of Virginia Tech, uh, since we have some time, not a ton, but a little bit, uh, just to chat about the Hokies for a few. Um, Dan, I'm not optimistic about SU chances in this one. Uh, Virginia Tech's offense is not really running at full efficiency under Justin Fuente. Uh, obviously, they're going to get to something resembling a spread right now. They're looking uh, at a quicker-paced uh, kind of read option. Um, that's actually helped uh, Gerard Evans quite a bit. Um, people aren't talking about him a ton um, on the national scale um, because, you know, the, the yardage isn't necessarily there. But, um, you know, he's got over 1,000 yards. He's throwing about 63% completions, averaging, you know, 8.71 yards per attempt, which is pretty good. Um, and then 15 touchdowns to one pick. Um, you know, Evans is definitely um, an unsung quarterback in the league right now, and that probably spells bad things for us. He's also a dual threat. As we discussed, SU's pretty much facing dual threats all season. Uh, 61 carries, 258 yards, um, two touchdowns. He's also got a 55-yard scamper in there. Um, and then Isaiah Ford is back this week, which is bad uh, for SU because he is one of the uh, ACC's better receivers. He is uh, Virginia Tech's best receiver. Um, and he's a guy who's going to be able to do some damage, and his absence is a reason why uh, the Virginia Tech offense might not have looked like it was firing on all cylinders of late. Yeah, I think that it, it really gets scary because, like you said, there is a lot of room for improvement for the offense, but they're still scoring points, and they are finding ways to be effective even if they're not really playing Fuente ball. And they're playing, but they're playing they, Beamer ball really well. 
that's the thing. They're playing basically Beamer ball. They have they. I'm looking at, at Bill C's stats. Number two in average field position on offense, um, which is all special teams. Uh, they their defense is probably a top twenty unit this year so far. Top ten um, and answer. top. Yeah, like they look really good on defense, just as good as they have for the last decade under under Beamer. Aside from like a couple of down years, and they're getting even with without having like the full go Fuente offense in there. It's probably the best offense they've had. Um, I know the like advanced numbers aren't like super kind to it, but at least in terms of like just raw like effectiveness, it's probably the best offense they've had in like five years. Oh yeah, easily. The, the, the last five is, years of Virginia Tech football offensively have been just bad. Yeah, I mean Evans, they're they're uh, he's I mean his numbers look good. He's fifteen, like you said, fifteen to one touchdown interception. He's not making mistakes. Seven point eight yards an attempt is fine. This is what you want um, out of a, of a college quarterback. If Dungey had seven point eight yards an attempt passing and five point eight yards of carry and had seventeen total touchdowns, one interception, we'd be over the moon. Um, I think Trayvon McMillan has probably not had as good a year as people expected, um, and I think their overall rushing game has been a bit down. I know. Uh, on S&P, they're like 110th. That's not great. But their passing is probably been a good amount better than what people expected. And then when you have a defense that's going to hold most teams to like 20 points, um, you're going to win a lot of games if you can put up, you know, what are they storing? They're actually storing like 30, or are they actually storing like 39 points a game? Um, yeah, obviously, there's some, yeah, there's some bad opponents in there. I mean, they put 49 points on Boston College, and while Boston College is bad, their defense is still pretty good, and the, they put up 49. Is it at this point? I think it's pretty, I mean, it's, it's decent. Like, the, the fact that Virginia Tech put up 49 points against them is notable. Um, yeah. The fact that they held UNC to three points is very notable, even in that bad weather, because they put up 34. I would not have expected, a, I would not have expected in the, in the stormy conditions that I set through a game in, that Virginia Tech would score 34 points, and UNC wouldn't be able to score more than three. Um, 54 against ECU. ECU's not great this year, but they beat NC State, and NC State's about as good as they always are, I think. Um, so yeah, this team, I think it's a bad matchup for Syracuse stylistically, um, especially if they don't make mistakes. I, I, I think Tech will probably win this game pretty handily. Yeah, as much as I would love to pick SU here, um, <laughs> I'm thinking something in like the 52 to 20 range, which sucks. Um, I think it's going to be like an entertaining 20, though, if that makes any sense. Like, it's going to look more like... It's going to look more like the 20 we put on USF than, like, the 20 we might have put up on, like, Pitt last year. Um, that game was bad. Not entertaining at all. We lost 23-20 to 20 on a last-second field goal. Um, versus, like, the 20 we put up on USF. Um, yes, it was aggravating at times, and, like, how they picked us apart in the second quarter was rough. Um, as they scored four touchdowns in all in drives under two minutes. Uh, that said, like you lose a game 45 to 20 um, in that fashion. Um, you try out some new things on offense. You're still kind of figuring out who you are. Um, I would hope SU's offense fig- has figured out who they are at this point. But yeah, I, I, I think that Virginia Tech's defense is much better and scoring 20 points on them um, sounds good at this juncture. Next year, I wouldn't be as happy with it. Um, but at this juncture, this year I am. Um, still, yeah, I, I think we're probably going to lose by 20-plus. Um, I'm seeing the line kind of drifting up um, from what it started. I know it started around 17. It was 16 and a half. It's like 19. And now it's about 19, 19 and a half. Um, I'd say, yeah, we're probably looking at about a 20-point loss, maybe 24. Um, I just predicted 32, which could also happen. I mean, really, who knows? Um <coughs> I just think Dungy's too banged up at this point. There's something obviously a little off. Um, the offensive line is not going to be returning everybody. Baber said specifically this week that um, two of those guys uh, out of Conway, Emmerich, and Palmer um, have season-ending injuries, but he hasn't said which ones. <laughs> Guess we'll find out. Guess we'll find out. <laughs> find out next time on Baber's Decides. He doesn't want to talk about injuries. Um, we made fun of what, what Marone and Schaefer did with injuries, but this is so much worse. Um, Babers just will not tell you shit like, uh, about these injuries. Like, just refuses to uh, under any circumstances. Yeah. Um, I mean, he's, he is a, a lot... He's a breath of fresh air in a lot of ways, and this is not one of them. He is very much a college football coach when it comes to injury reporting. Oh, yeah. I, I mean, just... 
Like I'm fully expecting our injury report to show up. You know, sometime it's going to show up sometime on Thursday. Um, but it's not really gonna. It's not really gonna say anything of note. It's probably gonna say. I hope it comes in with like next to those three guys. It's just all that little shrugging emoticon. <laughs> like at least have a sense of humor about it. Yeah, I mean, if I were them, I would just I would list the whole team with the shruggy. <laughs> you don't know who's healthy. We don't know who's healthy. <laughs> playing Russian. No, it should just be Dungy Dungy every week with the shrugging emoticon, and no one else has it, just to openly troll us. And then one week, like you reverse which way the hand's going. And then, look, but then whenever someone asked him, when when Bailey asked him every week, someone that I can't, I'm I'm just not going to stuff the health of my quarterback. Create. And then for one game, one game, put Mahoney out in the first play, and then pull him <laughs> for Dungy. <laughs> I mean, if I was a college football coach, I would do that. Though if I, though if I did that, I would not be a college football coach. If that makes any sense. <laughs> hey, why is you know papers being openly content, <laughs> contemptuous of the of the media and the fans? I don't know. He thinks it's funny. I mean, I kind of like it. I mean, to be honest, like, I, Pirate Leech is kind of that. My inner troll, my like inner troll, would kind of enjoy it, but like I'd feel so bad for like for Bailey and Mink and, and Carlson, and because I know that they both like are just trying to do their job, and then also they're going to hear it from both sides about like, hey, why aren't you guys reporting on the injuries, and also why are you asking about injuries? Dino doesn't want you to ask about injuries. It's not your business. Like, well, it is though, <laughs> but we can't. What are we supposed to do? Yeah, like as a citizen of the internet, I both love and hate. The, the idea of like a pure troll coach. So, so there's, there's definitely there's there's something there, but there's also something that, that very much doesn't need to be there. Um, I guess a, some last notes. Um, Dan, a couple questions. Do you think that the running game and it, we can do rapid fire here? Do you think the running game gets on track in any way, shape, or form in this game? Nope. Do you think Amba Edatawo uh, gets back on track in terms of 100-yard receiving games? Yes. I think he'll have, like, 105. I think he'll have, a, I think he'll have another a good game. Nothing, like, super crazy. Do you think Steve Ishmael uh, continues his uh, general improvement game over game as teams start to hyper-focus on Edatawo and Phillips? Yeah, sure. I don't think it'll be, like, a, a game-breaking game, but let, I'll say... All right, we'll it, I'll say Steve scores a touchdown. I think he gets his first score. Do you think... Uh, I think Eric Phillips gets a carry in this game. Yes. Do you He's think, had, what, one for two or three straight weeks? Yeah, I yes. think he does. Do you think Cole Murphy misses a field goal? Oh, yeah. 100%. <laughs> Probably blocked. Oh, Virginia God. Tech. For a touchdown. Definitely. Definitely going to happen. Extra point. Is oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> Both of them. <laughs> Cole Murphy's going to be in, uh, like, PTSD treatment for life. He's going to hit three field goals and then also have a blocked touchdown and extra point, so he's responsible for the other team scoring nine points, but also scores nine points himself. So watch. Oh, God. Do you think that Sterling Hoffrichter has a punt of 50 or more yards? No. Do you think that... Do you think Sean Riley returns a kickoff for more than 30 yards? No. Do you think Brisley Esteem manages a punt return for more than 30? No. Fair enough. Beamer ball lives. Uh, I like this game. <laughs> we should do this every week. <laughs> we, we can. We, we need a clever name for it. All of our most clever names have been on the fly, so I'm not going to try to plan this. I'm just going to hope we'll something, yeah, something will come to me. Sounds good. All right. Um, maybe that's the name of it. Something comes to you. <laughs> We'll, we'll see. Um, I'll, I'll, I'll noodle on it a little bit, but I really want this thing to be as organic as possible. Um, I agree with that sentiment. Fair enough. Uh, on that note, uh, Dan, thank you as always for joining. Uh, oh, short position. You, you gave yours. I didn't do mine. Oh, uh, yeah, go for it. 45-24 Virginia Tech. Okay, I, I could live with that. I, I, look forward to when you, I look forward to when you message me about my prediction. I'm going to forget what that story is. This happens every week. You message me for my, my written prediction, and I forget it, so then I have to go back and figure out when in the podcast we recorded it. Because, like, last week it was, like, er- weirdly early, yeah. and this week it's, like, right at the end, so this will actually be easier to find what I said. Fair enough. I will, I will try to commit this to memory. I might write it down. Maybe I'll message myself on Slack. <laughs> okay.
Anyway, uh, Dan, thanks as always for joining. Yes, thank you for having me as always. Uh, this weekend I will not be watching the Game in the Rainstorm unless I find a very strange viewing situation, I guess. It could happen, you never know. And it won't be raining by me because it never does. Um, and it's actually a problem. And it's actually problematic, as we discuss every so often. Um, on that note, uh, that was Dan. I'm John. Uh, thank you, as always, for listening to Troy Noons as an Absolute Podcast. Please be sure to rate, review, subscribe on iTunes, on Blog Talk. Um, I don't know if we're on Google's whatever podcast thing, but hopefully someday. I don't know. I'm sure you can find us another way. Listen to us there anyway. Yeah. Listen to us there even if we're not. I'm sure we'll be there in spirit. Um, and on that note, go orange. Go orange. Sorry, had some technical difficulties. At Jared, we know devotion isn't a once-a-year occasion. And once the flowers have wilted and the chocolates have disappeared, you'll still want them to know how much you care. Dare to give a gift that lasts this Valentine's Day with our incredible selection of jewelry. From delicate rose gold to bold black diamonds, Jared has hundreds of pieces under $299 and exclusive collections you won't find anywhere else. Shop online or find a store near you at jared.com and dare to be devoted. At Jared, we know devotion isn't a once-a-year occasion. And once the flowers have wilted and the chocolates have disappeared, you'll still want them to know how much you care. Dare to give a gift that lasts this Valentine's Day with our incredible selection of jewelry. From delicate rose gold to bold black diamonds, Jared has hundreds of pieces under $299 and exclusive collections you won't find anywhere else. Shop online or find a store near you at jared.com and dare to be devoted.